0: Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable on thy side, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Have you all ever had one of those mornings where nothing goes right? <laughs> That has been me this morning. I spent 20 minutes trying to get my contact lenses in and one of them would not come in. And at that point, I was ready to pull my eyeball out rather than have to try to worry and wrestle with the contact lens. And then, I put my glasses on. And as you can see, my glasses are on my face. I have no clue where I set them down. Um, And so, um, I'm discombobulated. And then, kind of on top of that, we have Uh, Someone who's filling in for our AV and and tech stuff. And so this is his first Sunday running um, our AV tech and live stream. So for those who are joining us online, if there's any glitches, um, we apologize. Um, And uh, and thanks for for your patience. I want to dig into the story from uh, Samuel that we heard just a few moments ago that Tracy um, read. The book of Samuel is a little bit of a misnomer. The book is mainly about King David. Um, All of us, I think, are familiar with King David. Um, And Samuel is the one who anoints David as king, and so this story kind of sets the stage about this sort of development. Um, And Samuel's mother was this woman named Hannah, and Hannah was childless. And um, if you have been a person who has struggled with fertility, you can um, understand uh, the pain that comes with being unable to bear children. And Um, In most things in our world, we always place the blame upon the women. It's never the men's fault. It's always something wrong with the woman. And and in, in these times, if you were unable to conceive a child, it was assumed that something that you had done, that you were being punished for it. And so it was not only just the personal pain of longing for a child, but on top of that was the public shame that came along with it. And, and so Hannah one day is at the temple and she is praying. She says in the scriptures that she is pouring her heart, she's pouring her soul open um, to God. I don't know if you've ever had one of those uh, prayer moments when you are just pouring everything you have out to God. And, and Eli, and this is a little foreshadowing about Eli, Eli sees her praying and assumes that she is drunk. It's a little bit of a clue about Eli's spirituality that he sees people praying and assumes they're drinking. And it's also a constant refrain throughout scripture that when people have an experience of the divine, those who are observing it often just assume that they are drunk. Remember in the book of Acts, um, when Pentecost happens and people are speaking in tongues and they're sitting there, go look at all those drunkards. And Peter says, wait a minute, it's nine o'clock in the morning. How could any of us be drunk? Never went to college. <laughs> no. So anyway, so, so, so Hannah has been pouring his, his, his soul, her soul out to God, um, and God blesses Hannah with a child, Samuel. And Hannah offers Samuel to the service of the Lord and gives Samuel to Eli. And there's some fabulous, amazing paintings um, about this handing over of the boy to Samuel there's a very I mean to Eli there's a very sweet kind of thing in the in the scriptures and it talks about how Hannah each year would bring robes that she had made to give to her son who was working in the temple. It's like really a beautiful kind of image. So Samuel is 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 like this professional full-time acolyte in the temple. He's working in the temple, he's serving the Lord, he's working under Eli. Eli is, is his mentor and one night Samuel is in front of the tabernacle, and he's asleep, and he hears these words. Samuel, Samuel. Now Samuel assumes that it must be Eli who's calling him, so he gets up, he goes and says, Eli, what do you want? And Eli says, I did it. Call, go back to bed. So Samuel goes back to sleep, and again he hears this word. Samuel, Samuel. And any time in Scripture when the name is used twice, something important is about to happen. And so Samuel gets up, he goes in to see Eli, and Eli perceives that maybe it is the Lord who is speaking, and says, listen for the Lord, go back and wait. And so again, the voice comes, Samuel, Samuel, and the Lord tells Samuel, I have something that I need you to do. I need you to go to your mentor, Eli, and I need you to tell him that he his entire family are a bunch of scum bums, and I'm about to bring punishment upon them for the evil that they do, right? People sit there and say, you know, I would really love to have an experience of God in the holy, and this is what happens. You're told to go tell your mentor, the person who has raised you, hey, guess what? God is really angry at you and some bad things are about to happen to you. Here's the thing, Eli and his sons have been abusing the temple system. They've been abusing the role as priests, and, and, and God is angry, and there's going to be this passing from Eli to Samuel, who's now going to be the one who's going to kind of represent the Lord to the people. And John Wesley says that it wasn't that Eli and his sons did one bad thing, or two bad things, or even three bad things. John Wesley says that it was 20 or 30 years of, of bad decisions, of evil decisions, that has made them who they are. And I think most of us realize kind of inherently, at least we realize it about ourselves, sometimes we don't always give other people the credit, that when we do something wrong, that's not really a full reflection of who we are. But if we did that wrong thing over 20 years, it becomes who we are. Do you understand that distinction? And I think that in this text is something that talks about The development of character which is a huge part of the biblical tradition and of the christian faith belief without transformation really doesn't really do anything right i mean you can say that well i believe but if it doesn't somehow transform your life then your faith is meaningless james puts it this way faith without works is dead N.T. Wright says that virtue, or the development of characters, what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring efforts and concentration to do something which is good and right that does not come naturally, and then on the thousand and first time, when it really matters, they find that they do what is required automatically. So, he gives the example of solely. I don't know if y'all seen the movie um, with Tom Hanks, but it's about Captain Solenberg, who lands the US airplane upon the Hudson River. And the reason that Soli was able to land that plane is not because some super powerful miracle just captured him that he was able to do something, but because throughout his time as a pilot, he had done plenty of landings. And so, at the moment in which it really mattered, on that thousand and one time, Sully was able to do something really impressive because he had a thousand other landings. Now, sometimes those landings are good, right? Maybe, you know, most of the time when we're sitting there, we're on a plane and we land and, and it goes off without a hitch. And other times you get down and you hit and you're kind of doing this. And the thing is, is that we sit there and 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 these things are also part of our learning process friend of mine put it this way he says you know when we think about our life in the christian faith we need to use that image of jacob's ladder and jesus in the gospel refers a little bit to it about angels ascending and descending right on jacob's ladder sometimes we go up and sometimes we go down but we're always on the ladder and so even in the times in which we mistake, make mistakes, in which we fail, we still learn from that. This is one of the things that I'm really concerned about in our modern society is, with all of our zero tolerance policies is, is how is anyone able to learn from the mistakes that they make? With the ability to keep everything that you've ever posted on social media, and every photo that you've ever done, and everything you have ever written seven years later, Somebody can go back and say, did you see what he tweeted when he was 14 years old? And we don't really leave room in our society for the development of character. We don't have that ability to descend on the ladder. Most of our lives are not emergency decisions like Captain Sully's. right? Most of our decisions are just day-to-day normal decisions. But the point of those things, of going up and going down, is that we learn from them so when the time really comes and the decision really has to be made, we have practiced those things enough that we know to make the right decision. One of the things that I think about um, in terms of this is this, you know, on Monday we're going to be celebrating Martin Luther King's um, uh, martyrdom. And the thing about Martin Luther King was is his commitment to nonviolence was a virtuous and character-building practice. There were a lot of times in which the choice to be nonviolent came with personal harm and degradation, right? People went and they sat down at a lunch counter they were not allowed to sit on, and they had things poured on them, they had things spat on them, they um, had things yelled at them, and they had violence directed upon them. But what Martin Luther King says is that the commitment to nonviolence as a way of life is what will eventually transform um, civil rights in our country. There are some people who sat there and said, well, he was wrong. Look at these things that happened. Look at these bad things that happened. And Martin Luther King maintained that this was the way that we have to practice and live our lives. Kristen and I have been watching Cobra Kai which is the most amazing show and I'm so upset that we already um, blew through season three but at the very beginning of season three there was this incident at at the end of season two um, in which one of the characters makes the right decision but the result from the right decision was not good. And so he says to his sensei, I did the right thing and still look what happened. And the sensei says, you don't do the right thing because it leads to the, right act, to, the, to the right outcome. You do the right thing because it is the right thing. And this is so foreign in our world. I mean, we sit there and we live in a society which teaches us that the ends justify the means and the Christian faith in life says, no, life is found in the means. It's not in the ends. So, the story of eli who over 20 and 30 years he and his sons had uh, broken the trust that people had in the priestly system that's one model but another model is to sit there and look and being able to develop practices which 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 get you back like if you're off the ladder you can get back on the ladder But that's where the Christian faith in life is. This is where confession and absolution comes from. I came off the ladder. I need to get back on. This is what builds and develops character, and this is what allows us to give witness to the world. One last thing is that these things for us as Christians are sustained by what our call to the day says. It is sustained by the word and the sacrament and that we need to delve ourselves deeply into those godly things in order to form our imagination and inform our decisions of what is right, moral, and just, and good. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org. And peace be with you.